By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know Him, the one who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of this glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I praise you Father, you know, Bojo mentioned earlier just the negativity that continues to pile on the leadership of this church. And, and the thing is, there's nothing to be negative about. Everything's excellent because you've made it that way. And Father, we don't understand what it is that's going on. Um, I have no doubt that there's a battle in the spiritual realm. I know that. And that's why we feel such... Just, we're just not at ease. I know that's the Spirit telling us to be prepared. Father, one thing I do know is that you are a God of love and victory. And whatever this negativity is, I come against it in the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever this evil power is that's trying to penetrate, I rebuke it in your Son's name. Father, one thing that I've also learned is anytime there's an attack, it's not an attack. Father, what it is, it's an opportunity for the leadership of this church to step up and show everybody why you chose us. It's an opportunity to teach. It's an opportunity to come against the evil one and to show everybody in this church that we're going to put him right back below our feet where he belongs. Father, at this time, I lift up this three-year-old daughter to you, this three-year-old girl. Father, you know the situation. I continue to claim your victory over her and that family. Father, I just lift that whole family up to you. I ask that you soak them in your peace and understanding. And Father, your boldness when it's needed. Father, today you've given me a word. You've given me a sermon. I praise you for that. Thank you for that direction. I just ask today, Father, again, that you take me away, and Father, you replace it with you. So in this moment, Father, I'm asking that you anoint me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, that you take any negativity away from my thoughts, and you replace it with nothing but your wisdom, your boldness, and most importantly, your love. I ask these things in your name, Father. Help us to love, laugh, and forgive. Amen. <clears throat> All right, church. <clears throat> Dang, I'm crying. Now my contacts are all messed up. Can't even read. I look down, it's just all blurry. Mm. Uh, today I want to start with a couple questions. First question. Show of hands. <laughs> she started laughing already. Show of hands. Has someone in your life ever promised you anything in your life and broke that promise? Okay, all right. When I, uh, when I was in the, the eighth grade, uh, I thought I was in love with this girl. I ain't going to name her name. But this old girl, see, she, was, she promised me. She loved me. She loved me. And uh, when eighth grade was over, we went into the summer, 
And, uh, you know, she was going to be a freshman the next year. And next thing I know, all these high school boys started reaching out to her. And she broke up with me for the first day of school. The old heifer broke up with me. <laughs> she broke a promise, right? Now, here's the thing. I, I can't stand people that break promises, guys. It, it, it's, it's hard for me. If you look at me and tell me you promised something, I'm expecting it to go through. But now I have the second question that I want to ask you. Show of hands. Have you ever promised something yourself to someone and you broke that promise? Uh-huh, look at y'all. Bunch of liars. Okay, I'll raise my hand too. That's happened with me as well. We're all guilty of it, guys. At some point in our lives, we have broken a promise. Uh, maybe we promised to take our kids to the movies, but the show was sold out. We weren't able to take them. Uh, maybe we promised to attend a family member's uh, party of some sort, but you know, with car trouble, we weren't able to get there. Maybe we promised to meet up for coffee with an old friend, but an illness kept us from going. When making a promise, we don't always intend to break that promise, but sometimes unforeseen circumstances make it impossible to keep them. Intent or not, the broken promises in our lives should never affect our belief and trust in God's promises. When God makes a promise, we can be sure he will do exactly what he says. God's not like us. We as people may say one thing and then go and do something else, but again, God will not do that. He is not going to operate one way one day and then one day the next. I mean, that's why it tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? That is the one constant that you can always count on. So when God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. And I want you to grab this. God's promises are not just promises. They are guarantees. When God promises you something, it is a guarantee. But how many times do you hear church people say, well, that's a promise from God. You need to hang on to it. You need to claim that promise. But what really are these promises? Where are they in the Bible? How do I claim them? And do they even relate to me? It's a lot of questions that I get. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to discuss God's promises and how to understand them and how to also access them. Okay, today's title is God's promises. That's what we're looking at. Like I said, either the next two weeks, maybe even the next three weeks, we're going to preach on this topic. Today's sermon title again, God's promises. And there are 7,487 of them in the Bible that God makes to mankind, to us. Over 7,000 promises. And again, remember, he kept them all and will still keep them all. Now, to make, for time's sake, I'm not going to go over all 7,000 of these promises, by the way. I've come up with a few that I believe are major promises that every Christian warrior ought to know. But before I get started, you need to know the most important thing about God's promises. God's promises are not automatic. They are optional. I'm going to repeat myself. God's promises are not automatic. They are optional. It's your choice. It's your choice whether to accept these promises or not. God's laid all those promises down at our feet, but again, we need to claim them. Michael, what do you need by claim? I've had people ask me this question before. They say, Mike, it sounds like you're demanding something from God. When you claim something, you're not demanding it from God. You're actually showing honor to God. God has handed it to you. 
it, it's just like if somebody gave you a, a present, okay, if you don't open that present, it's an unwrapped present, you're not honoring the person that gave it to you. God has given us tons of gifts, tons of presents, tons of promises, if you will, that are wrapped up in a gift box. Again, it's our choice whether to unwrap those or not. I want to look at the first promise that we're going to talk about today, and that is that he will guide you. Let's look at Psalms 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I want to break this verse down. The first thing that you guys need to notice about this verse is it says, I will instruct you and I will teach you. And what you see, it doesn't say that you will instruct yourself or you will teach yourself. It doesn't say that the world will teach you. It doesn't say that the world will instruct you. It is God that will teach you and instruct you. So how does God instruct us and teach us in the Bible? Well, obviously it is the Bible. It is his word. That's how he teaches us, guides us. Everything that we need to know is in that book. God's laid out this game plan called the Bible that enables you to have a peaceful life. But the only way you're going to know the game plan is by studying it. So many times I have people that come to me and they'll say, Micah, you know, I'm struggling in this area. And then I go point it out to them in the Bible. And they'll come to me and say, Micah, I'm struggling in this area. And I point it out to them in the Bible. There's an answer for everything there. Everything. And here's what I need you to understand about God is if, if there's not an answer, grab this, there is an answer. It means he doesn't need you to know that right now. I only say that because we just preached a series on Revelation. That's the only reason why I bring that up. It's a hard topic, right? There's certain things that we're not supposed to know. But that is the answer that he gives you. Do y'all feel me on that? That's not enough. Did, did y'all feel me on that? Okay, very good. I was about to say, we'll go back and do Revelation all over again. In 1992, this is kind of this game plan thing I'm telling you about with the Bible. Like I said, if you study it, you'll know it. But in 1992, uh, the Dallas Cowboys won the Super Bowl that year. And, and in the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 27, it was at the Rose Bowl, Dallas won 52 to 17. <laughs> but at the Super Bowl, before the game, Jimmy Johnson, the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, had a game plan that he put in place. It's one of the most successful game plans that has ever been executed of any sporting event. And what he did was, is he took his faster players and he played them on defense and he blitzed Jim Kelly, the quarterback of the Buffalo Bills, constantly. In that game, Dallas had nine turnovers, which is to this day still a Super Bowl record. I think the closest one to it is six. They knocked Jim Kelly out of the game. Obviously, that game plan worked. Guys, it's the same thing. Again, open your Bible. Your game plan is there. If you study it enough, you'll set records. You'll do the great things that God wants you to do. He gives you the direction and guides you through it right there in his word. I want to look at this second part of this verse. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. How does God counsel us? Jesus told us that when he left this earth that he was going to leave us the great counselor who is the Holy Spirit. And that's how he counsels us. The great counselor of the Holy Spirit, it's like a tour guide, guys. It's like a tour guide. When me and Amanda went on our honeymoon 
to St. Lucia almost 18 years ago. I don't know how she's put up with me for 18 years. That's not, that's not what I was asking for. <laughs> we, uh, going to St. Louis, we'd never been there before. We, we actually, we did. We got a, a travel agent, you know, that, that's put everything in place for us. And we had a tour guide. And one of the things that the tour guide did was when we landed at the airport, they had somebody there ready to drive us to the resort that we were staying at. What was crazy was, is once we got in the car, the airport, has anybody in here ever been to St. Lucia? Show of hands in the Caribbean? One person. Okay, you my man, Joe. Joe know what I'm talking about. That airport's nasty. I mean, it's straight up nasty, and it's straight up in the hood. And when I say hood, we ain't talking about Texas County hood. We talking about it's rough, right? We get in the car, we take off to go to our resort, and on the way there, I remember grabbing Amanda by the hand and whispering in her ears, I love you if we don't make it. Guys, on the way there, we're literally seeing people without clothes on on the side of the road. We're seeing people that literally, I'm not exaggerating, living in cardboard boxes that they cut out and tape together. We're watching people fight on the side of the road. Finally, all of a sudden, we're going through this. This is like 10 minutes, by the way, going through all this. And I'm seriously thinking, he finna, he finna park somewhere and take us out. And we finally pull up to this huge fence and there's these two men standing outside, two armed guards with machine guns. Thank goodness that was our resort. <laughs> if you have a tour guide, guys, it makes a big difference. And the Holy Spirit, again, can do that for you. If you let him guide you, not only will he get you to the great amazing sights and things that you can see in life, but he'll also protect you from danger. The Holy Spirit is your tour guide. That is how he counsels us. Which moves me to the second promise uh, that we're going to talk about today, and that is that God, he will protect you. I want to look at 2 Thessalonians 3.3. 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I want you to check out the word establish. In the Greek, establish means to strengthen, means to strengthen you. So no matter the situation you're in, God's promises, or excuse me, God promises to strengthen you for the situation at hand. And by his strength, you will be guarded from the evil one. Notice this verse doesn't say that he will keep you from a battle, though. It doesn't say that. It says he will give you the strength that you need to get through a battle. He's going to always put you through small storms to make you stronger, guys. And the reason why he does that is because he knows that there's a larger storm coming. It only strengthens you. That's what he's doing. He's establishing you. He's strengthening you. God did this to King David. I mean, if you think about before King David went and fought Goliath, if you know the story well, you know, he started as a shepherd. He fought off wolves. He, shot, he fought off a bear. He fought off a lion where when he stepped up to a man that was bigger than him, it was like, this is nothing. I done killed three wild animals. Like, this is nothing. I can take this guy out. He established King David. He strengthened him for that situation. That's what God will do to us. That's exactly how he's going to always give us these smaller things, again, so we can handle the big storms that are coming in our lives. No matter the storm you face, God will protect you. But again, keep in mind, I said this earlier, God's protection is not automatic, it's optional. You have to do your part. 
Guys, this is huge for you men. I want to talk to y'all for just a second. God promises protection over you. Promises protection over your family. But if you're not doing your part, your family may not get protected. I know I get on you guys a lot and you men a lot, but y'all are the spiritual leaders of your household. And I truly believe a huge reason and a huge a huge reason why this country is the way that it is is flat out we don't have men leading the household the right way and the thing is if we're not getting established and strengthened on our walk if we're not humbling ourselves before God eventually a big storm's going to hit your house my question is to you are you ready to handle it it's time for more men to step up the third and final promise that I want to visit about today is very similar to the promise of protection. It kind of rolls right into this, and that's the promise that God will fight for you. He will fight for you. Let's look at Exodus 14, 13, and 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. There's some battles that we face that we are not prepared for. Battles that we do not have the strength to win. That's when God promises to step in. If we do our part for that first promise, we do our part to get established and for him to strengthen us, and we continue to grow, again, you're going to reach a time when you're going to have a battle that you do not have the strength for. And that's when God's promise that he will fight for you steps in. But again, I'm going to remind you guys, God's promises, they're not automatic. They're optional. Again, we have to do our part to accept and to claim these promises that come from God. In order to allow God to protect us, we must be willing to let God step in. That's another thing. A lot of times we don't even allow him to step in. We're facing a situation we ain't even asked him for help. We're trying to handle it ourselves. We must always have the faith to trust God in those moments and that he will step in. Here in Exodus 14, that is exactly what Moses did. I mean, if you think about the story of Moses and, and when, when he's gotten everybody out of Egypt and they're leaving and they're approaching the Red Sea, if you remember the Egyptians, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians are coming after him. They've changed their mind. They're going to come kill all the Israelites and, and everybody else that went with Moses, all two million people that were with him. And once they reached them, Moses did not have the strength. Those two million people did not have the strength to defeat these, the, the, really the, the greatest army at that time in the world. So what does God do? He protects them with a pillar of fire. Comes down, stops them. All of a sudden, you know, they got to get across the sea. Moses walks up. He can't part that sea. There's no way. What's Moses going to do? He can't part that sea. But with God's help, he's allowed to part the sea with the staff in his hand. They escape. Everybody knows the story. Egyptians go into the Red Sea. God pours water on them, and they all die. Okay. It's what Moses did. Moses was established as the leader of the Israelites. Throughout his time, God was strengthening him for more and more battles, right? But again, he finally reached a situation that he couldn't handle anymore. 
that's when you have to allow God to step in. Don't be so prideful that you don't ask for God's help. I dropped my pen. I want you to notice the two words, be still. I'm going to ask you a question. How, how many battles have you lost in your life because you weren't still? Man, I can think of a bunch right now. How many times I tried to handle it myself? How many times I didn't ask him for help when I knew I did not have the strength to take on the battle that was in front of me? There's so many times that that happens in our lives. We just have to be still and allow him to take over. The problem is, is our flesh is extremely hard-headed and extremely prideful. We have to get out of the way and literally just be still. Right now, I guarantee you there's something that you may be going through or that you have gone through that you're thinking. I mean, I know I did this as soon as I was studying on this sermon. I mean, it hit me. I started thinking about all the times I never asked him for help and it fell apart. I'm hoping today from one thing that you get from all of this is that you make sure when you're in that situation and you know you ain't going to win, it's time to be still and ask for help. Allow God to step up. I'm going to close with this. There's a spirit of fear. We just talked, I just prayed about it. But it's crippling our world. The spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well. Spirit of fear is everywhere in our world. And it's not just in our world, guys. I mean, it's in our world for, you know, a war that may be coming, but it's the economic downfall of our country. That's a fear that he's putting in our minds. Fear of confusion in our schools. Fear of gun violence in our own churches. It wasn't just long ago. Something local happened. And thank God that God stepped in. Guys, this spirit of fear is everywhere. And I need you to understand that that's what Satan does to take your mind away from our Heavenly Father. You know, I, I truly believe this. You know, so many times people will say, what's the opposite of love? And they'll say hatred. I, I don't think that's true. I think the opposite of love is fear. Because our God is a God of love. And then it tells us that he did not give us the spirit of fear, but he gave us the spirit of love and peace and sound mind. The opposite of love is fear. So when you are fearful, you've lost that love for Christ. Your father loves you. Your father is going to always be there for you. So when fear steps in, that should be your minute that you think, okay, I got to start loving and you fall to your knees and you humble yourself and you love your father. And protection follows. One of the most repeated words in the Bible is don't be 
afraid. One of the most, I think it's three, well, 365 times it says something about not fearing. Correct? So one of the most repeated verses, repeated quotes, whatever you want to call it in the Bible is don't be afraid. When Abraham was called away from his home in the beginning, the angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid. When Moses was to step up and lead the Egyptians out of Israelite, the burning bush said, don't be afraid. When Joshua took over for Moses and took the Israelites into the promised land, and he had to go and fight all these different battles in all these different cities with a small amount of soldiers compared to what was in these cities, God told him, don't be afraid. When Nehemiah had to go build the wall, don't be afraid. When the angel came to Mary and came to Joseph to explain that the Savior was going to be born, what did he say? Don't be afraid. When Jesus walked on water, what did he tell the disciples? Don't be afraid. When the angel came to the ladies at the tomb after Jesus had risen from the dead, what did, she say? What did he say to those ladies? Don't be afraid. What did Jesus say to Paul whenever Paul had to go start preaching? Don't be afraid. Congregation, don't be afraid. If it's repeated that many times, guys, you think, well, that's hard to do. No, no, it's not. It's simple. It's simple. When fear creeps in, you start concentrating on your love for Jesus Christ. It'll block the fear. Amen?